Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. You can kind of see a general theme. We're not going to spend much time on this morning, but Luke is still working on answering the question, who is Jesus? I mean, who is this guy? We've been, we've been beating that drum all through the, the book of Luke, and Luke is still on that topic. And the, one of the main thrusts here is ending with this Herod asking this question, who's going on? Is this Elijah? Is this John the Baptist? And if you'll look ahead, you're going to see that in two weeks, we're going to discuss that more with Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. So we're going to spend in a couple of weeks a lot more time again revisiting this topic of trying to figure out who Jesus is. But this is an interesting turning point in the ministry of the life of Jesus. He's been ministering, uh, some would say, 18 months or so. He's about halfway through possibly his ministry here. And at this time, he's going to do his first missionary sending. This is the first missionary movement we see in Scripture. Jesus takes these 12 apostles, disciples. He gives them power and authority over demons and all diseases. And then he sends them out on missionary journeys. And what, what, is, what are the things that this big sender, this guy who's sending people out with his message, what are the things that he's going to stress what are the things he's going to stress to them going to be? What, what is, this is the big locker room talk before they go out and they've been training. They've been in spring camp or whatever. They've been at spring training baseball or whatever. And now they're finally going to take the field and try to actually put together what they've been watching Jesus do and listening to his teaching and spread his message. And they're, they're walking out onto the field. And this is the last the moment here before they go out for their first big um, work that he's commissioned them to do, and what is he going to say? What, what's this locker room speech going to be? And this morning I want to just highlight four kingdom principles that appear here in, in this text. Four just kind of big ideas that kind of undergird all of this. There's a lot of temporal circumstances involved in, in this um, passage. So I, I've met guys... Um, you guys, some of you might remember, I shouldn't mention his name even on mic, I might delete this, but Brother Benjamin, um, 10, 15 years ago or something, and he, walked, and he walked around town barefoot, and, and kind of his whole point was he was taking this passage literally, that he was not to take 
journey. He was on his journey. He's not supposed to wear shoes, not supposed to take a staff, no bread, no money, and do not have two tunics. He was, he was taking this literally. Now, and, and there's some danger in doing that. We've got several other places. We'll get to it later on here in chapter 10 when Jesus sends out the 72 that has similar details. But this is a specific mission they are on. Jesus is encouraging them the, uh, the urgency of this, of this mission to not waste time gathering supplies, raising funds, all of these things. He's saying, go out in faith, trust me, don't take two tunics, don't take a bag for begging for money, don't take any bread, don't take any money, just don't take an extra staff, just go, just go. But even though there, this is, I do think, temp, I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't think we should take this as our life verse, <laughs> basically is what I'm saying, that 9-3, that this is what our life as a Christian in the modern world is supposed to look like. But there are principles underneath this that I think are, are very much still intact. The, the underlying motivation to why Jesus has them behaving in this way, going out on this missionary journey, are still real, I think, for us today. And I've just kind of brought out four of these reasons. He's preparing his disciples in what they will do when Jesus is no longer around. Jesus is aware that his ministry is not going to be long. He, he hasn't yet, from Luke's account, um, said to them about his death. But if you look ahead, and we're going to get to it in, in three weeks, when Jesus is going to foretell, I, I'm going to die. We're going to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. And so Jesus knows his death is coming. And so he's preparing these missionaries, these apostles, his disciples, and later the 72 He's preparing them for what they are going to be about once he is gone. And he's sending them out on these missions. Regardless, uh, he, Jesus does know that his time is coming. And so he begins to send out his apostles, his message carriers. Apostle means sent one out to the regions to testify to what they have seen and heard from Jesus. Jesus gives them authority over all demons and to cure all diseases. And this is, this is some sort of power that Jesus specifically special has. We know from what we've read just in chapter 8. We talked about Jesus' ability to calm nature, to calm demons, to calm disease, and to overturn death. And in some miraculous way, he has specifically given this to his apostles as they go out as testimony to this word that they are spreading. And as they are going about, what are these four things? So I've said I'm going to talk about them. Let's talk about what are these four things that underlie what Jesus is sending them out for. Look with me at verses 2 and 6. If you still have your Bible out, Luke chapter 9. Jesus begins to to tell them what to do. He sent them out in verse 2. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And then you jump down to verse 6. It says, they departed, went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. He sends them out with a couple of primary messages. But the first one that he has is to proclaim the kingdom of God, which Luke himself later summarizes as preaching the gospel. He sends them out to proclaim the gospel, the kingdom of God. And then the summary is they went through the villages and what do they do in verse 6? They preach the gospel. There we see this specific directive from Jesus to first of all be engaged in the work in proclaiming of the kingdom of God, of preaching the gospel. When the apostles went out, they were to speak 
kingdom words. My first point. They were to speak kingdom words. They are to preach the gospel. They were to call people to repent and believe the gospel. Just like Mark chapter 1, 15 said Jesus did. He went out, was proclaiming, repent and believe the gospel. And in Mark's account of this same sending of the 12 disciples, in Mark's account, he actually says that's what they did. They went out and they preached repentance and belief in the gospel. There is no... Here's the underlying principle. Speak, speaking kingdom words, there is no Christian movement that if it does not include the words of the kingdom, speaking of the gospel, there is no Christian movement that doesn't include that. There is no Christian movement that does not include speaking kingdom words, preaching the gospel. If a humanitarian effort, which is to be applauded and uh, supported and thanked for, if it does not have in any sense this urgency to declare the good news of the kingdom, they are off mission. If, if your life and, and if any mission movement that you see or any, any work in the kingdom, if there is no proclamation of the gospel, if there is no call for repentance and faith in Christ, it is not a Christian movement. It's trendy and popular in our world today to be involved in acts of mercy and, and mercy ministries. And I'm actually for, I mean, yes, I think we should be involved in mercy ministries. But the biggest, the bottom line is that souls that do not hear the good news of the gospel and believe are going to remain under the judgment of God. The biggest mercy that we can have to a wide world is to give them the gospel that they would know of what Jesus has done for them, that they would repent of their sins, trust in Christ, be reconciled to God their Father. What greater importance, what greater message could we have if you solved every temporal problem, if they went around and healed every disease as these apostles went around, and they banished disease from a town, but no one ever heard of Jesus, what ultimate good would it have been to them? They would have died anyway and died under the just judgment of God as sinners because they never heard the gospel. Underlying principle from this first, first uh, takeaway from this section, speak kingdom words. If we are Christians, we must be about the gospel. Christian ministry that does not seek to spread the good news of the gospel as a primary objective is missing the point. So the first thing they were called to do, the first underlying principle is to speak kingdom words. The second thing they were called to do is to show kingdom compassion. Speak kingdom words, show kingdom compassion. The apostles are sent out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, to preach the gospel, and to heal, to minister to, minister to the downcast. The principle behind this is the obvious care and compassion of Jesus, and therefore his followers, the care and compassion for those who are in the midst of difficulty. We are not to be, so as I have just said, a Christian ministry that is not about the proclamation of the gospel is failing in its duty. 
a Christian ministry that is only about getting on a soapbox and shouting at people and is never willing to get down in the, in the sorrows of their neighbor, to get their elbows dirty, to get down on their knees with a suffering neighbor, someone who is in need, is likewise failing in this call to be show, using speaking kingdom words and showing kingdom compassion. They are called to go to the sick. Who do you heal? You don't go to the place where everyone's healthy and prosperous and doing good and heal the people. You're going out on the streets. They're finding those who are outcasts. I mean, if you have leprosy in this day, you become an outcast. You live outside of the city. These are the castaways, the throwaways. And the kingdom, the, the, the underlying principle here is not just speaking kingdom words, but also showing kingdom compassion. The church should be the place where the truth is unapologetically proclaimed and where everyone feels equally loved and invited into. That there is no preference. You know, you've got to look at this. It's, it is a miracle that Jesus, that the church is here. Honestly. You think about making the goal of your, what organization, if you were to go get a leadership book to say, here's how you make a worldwide global uh, religion minister to the people who no one cares anything about. And, and that's going to do anything. I mean, that, that's not a business model. A business model in today's world is you find the people of influence, you find the ones who are at the top, you find the change makers, and you reach them, and then that all trickles down, and all of a sudden we've got a big global movement. But this is not the way Jesus works. This is not the way Jesus sends these men out to work. And you see it clearly down in the last section here. Herod is this tetrarch, rightly called. Luke is a good historian. He's this tetrarch. He's this leader in this region. He wants to see Jesus. Now, he he has mixed motives. We're not sure why Herod wants to see Jesus specifically. You can see later on in chapter... um, He's, he's inquiring of him. But later on in Luke chapter 13, 31, Pharisees come to Jesus and say, Herod wants to kill you. And, and he has some uh, stern words for Herod. So there's a sense in which we hear once from Luke that Herod wants to kill Jesus. But later on in Luke chapter 23, at the crucifixion of Jesus, Herod does get to see Jesus. And Luke tells us that what Herod was interested in there is he, wanted to, he was hoping to see Jesus work a great miracle. Herod wants to see Jesus. This influential, wouldn't it be great if Herod got on our team? Wouldn't it be great if Herod got on our team? Jesus doesn't seem to pay him any attention. He's thinking to see him. Jesus would have known he wants to see him. Herod isn't the one Jesus wants to minister to. Herod's high and lofty in his own arrogance and his pride. He sends these men out to show kingdom compassion to everyone, to the least of these, to those who are out struggling. We think in order to get something off the ground, we've got to get to the big players, get some of the big players involved, and then ministry will really take off, but not Jesus. He is about reaching those who are in the midst of their struggle, those who things are not going well for. These are the ones, the mission is the proclamation of the message of the gospel and ministry to those who are suffering. So, Four principles. The first is using kingdom words, proclaiming the gospel, showing kingdom compassion, that all that we would get down on our hands and knees and struggle and suffer along with the least of these. Speak kingdom words, show kingdom compassion, and live in kingdom contentment is my third one. When the apostles traveled into a city, 
They're going to have to take nothing with them, right? They don't have, let's just look at the text. Take nothing for the journey, no staff, this is verse 3, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. He says that when you go into a place and you find a house that welcomes you, stay there. Why, what does that mean? Well, at this time, from the commentaries that I've read, traveling people, traveling pastors, rabbis, would go into a house and they would stay for a night, receive whatever gifts they could get from that house, and then they're eager to move on maybe to the next house. Maybe there'd be a better house. Maybe there'd be another house to receive more benefit from. Stay there for a night or two. Go on to the next house. Try to collect from those people. And they were, they were traveling around trying to benefit themselves temporally as much as they could. And Jesus, in contrast to that mindset, says, Take nothing, take no money, no bread, no staff, nor bag. Do not have two tunics. And when you enter into a house, stay there. They're not to go around looking from house to house. It's, again, a very odd way to minister. But those who carry the words of the kingdom, the message of the gospel, those who display that they know and cling to the gospel by having compassion on the least of these, on the oppressed, are to be those who show themselves content in what the gospel gives us. Speak kingdom words, display kingdom compassion, live in kingdom contentment that these apostles are to go around, they're proclaiming the best news in the world. The kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is here. A Savior has come to rescue us from our sin. Repent. Trust in Jesus. They don't have the full revelation of the cross yet, but they are saying, repent. The kingdom of God is here. Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Trust in this good news. They are spreading this message, and they are to speak it, show it with their compassion by healing and ministering to the least of these, and by being content that in Christ they have what they need. And they're not to be saying, here's how, how much does it ruin good news? Say, I've got the best news in the world for you. Now I'm going to obsess all of my time and requiring all these other possessions and all, trying to find the best temporal, uh, temporal circumstances I can find. They are not to do this. They are to content themselves in trusting in their God. Trusting in their God, being content in who He is and this message that they have. Think of the message that it sends. When we, say, we, when we say and declare the supreme value of Jesus and of His saving work and then spend all of our time trying to increase our temporal comforts. It's not very convict, convincing when someone stresses the importance of eternity and, joy that, and the joy that can be found in Christ and His eternal life that He's offering and then turns around and works like crazy and all sorts of carnal, temporal pleasures. Speak kingdom words. Show kingdom compassion. Live in kingdom contentment, what the gospel gives us. Three things. Fourthly, have kingdom conviction. When the gospel is not received in one of these communities, what are they to do? They're to leave that city and shake the dust off their feet. That may not seem like much, that's a big deal. There's a lot of symbolism in what they are saying when they are shaking the dust off of their feet. When the gospel is not received in the community, the apostles are to leave that city and shake the dust from their feet. In Luke 10, in the commission of the 72, he says the same thing again. He says, verse 11 of chapter 10, even the dust of, that, of your town that clings to our feet was what they're to say to this city when they don't receive them. Even the dust of your own town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. 
Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, this is Jesus saying, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. It is a symbolic act of judgment against this town. They have heard the gospel and they have rejected it. They have been exposed to the truth of the gospel and they have rejected it. It is saying that even the dirt in your town is in such danger, I don't want to take a speck of it with me. What happens to the cities that reject Jesus and his messenger, the people of the cities that reject Jesus and his messengers? Jesus says that Sodom and Gomorrah will be envied by them because they heard the full news of the gospel and turned away. Sodom and Gomorrah, remember the story in Genesis, fire and sulfur rains down from heaven and consumes the people and the city in an act of judgment. You hear the gospel and you don't personally receive it. You do not put faith in Christ. When judgment comes, you're going to wish you could be Sodom and Gomorrah. That's words from Jesus. I didn't make that up. That's in your Bible. That's serious. When, 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 they, when they go around, they are to use kingdom language. They are to show kingdom compassion. They are to have kingdom commitment. And they are to have kingdom conviction. This message matters. This message matters. This gospel matters. This gospel matters. This mission is not to be one of indifference. God help me that we never, I never from up here communicate any sort of indifference about this message. This message, this gospel matters. We are to travel around and spread. They are commissioned to go around with kingdom conviction. The message of the gospel, its displays of compassion for the lost and contentment and what it brings to sinners is not to be lightly or glibly regarded. The message is not, you know, well, here's an idea for you. Think about it. If you like it, okay. If you don't, no big deal. No. No. They really cared that people heard and believed in the gospel. And they were so convinced of this town's need to hear the gospel and believe it that if the people rejected it, they warned them with a symbolic act of their impending judgment. So, here we are this morning. Under the weight of a commission Jesus gives to his disciples. Speak kingdom words, preach the gospel, show kingdom compassion, live in kingdom contentment, have kingdom compassion. This matters. The passage today contains specific details for the apostles at a certain time. These four kingdom realities, I do think, are underlying principles that remain for all of us today. So, where do you stand? How do you sit with these principles, with these realities of this commission? Speak the gospel. You know a little section I talk about every now and then, your insert, questions and answers? Try this. Write, what is the gospel? And then what do you, what do you put down there? Right? What is the gospel? And then how do, you, how do you explain that? If someone says to you, Peter says, be ready to make a defense of your faith. Someone says to you, what is the gospel? What do you say? Christians need to be prepared to proclaim, speak kingdom words. Preach the gospel. Show kingdom compassion. Where's your compassion level at? Are we more interested in finding the powerful and the, and the impressive and the popular to come to our team? Or do we not care any of that stuff? And what we want to do is minister to those who need it. Those who are desperate for good news. Those are the ones we want to reach. How driven are you by the message of the gospel? How much compassion, how much does compassion drive you over the need for powerful and popular people to look favorably upon you? How contented are you in this gospel? In this good news? 
How cost, are you constantly looking for the next thing? How convinced are you of the urgency of the necessity of and necessity of this gospel? You could, and I would argue that we should, ask the same questions of this church. How caught up are we in this and using kingdom language? This being a lighthouse, a, a, a megaphone for the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying word, world. Are we driven by the need to move in kingdom compassion for our community, for our impoverished county? Move with kingdom compassion for the least of these that need the loving hand of God to reach out to them. Not all caught up with the high and mighties, but those who need the love of Christ, the message of the gospel. Are we caught up? Are we contented in what the gospel has for us? No matter what the culture would threaten us with and try to drag us down with, that we are contented in this gospel. And are we convinced of the urgency of presenting this message? Are we convinced of the urgency of the world needing to hear the dividing line of this gospel message? Where does this mission land for us today? So I'm thinking on these texts all week long and trying to formulate something and oh, I had kind of a lousy Friday I try to bring you back in after I talk a long time I had kind of a lousy Friday you know I had a day off it was my day off from the post office and so it's supposed to be you know my day and I, I I just it's a thing where I got lots of things done that I need to get done you're always glad to check things off your list you know and you get all the things done you need to get done but but a lot of the portion of the days were getting you know phone calls or letters out or whatever things you need to get done you're not really excited about getting done. You know, just things you got done. And so I, I get all these things done. I get my list checked off, and I go home. And, you know, you ever have those days? You just kind of, things are just kind of funky. You get home, and neither you nor your wife are real enthused about what's going on. You find out the kids have been fighting the whole time you've been gone. So you've been off doing the things you need to do, don't really want to do, but you're getting them done. And, and the kids have been awful to, uh, not awful, I shouldn't say that, but less than best for their mother, and, and, and then bedtime comes around, and I don't know if anybody's struggling with, ever, ever struggle with bedtimes with kids, that I got a two and a five-year-old, going to be two and five, that are becoming, I don't know, he's laughing back there, I shouldn't make light of it, uh, he listens too well, he's a little too, too bright, he likes to argue, uh, but, you know, and so I get done, we finally get into bed, 10 o'clock at night, which is way too late, I sit down and I think, what does this passage, how does this help me where I am? How does this help me where I am? This a help is this. We emphasize kingdom words. We use kingdom speech because the gospel is true no matter what your subjective day has entailed. No matter what has gone on in your subjective day to day, the gospel is real. Jesus Christ has come. He has lived the righteous life we should have lived. He's died the death that we deserve. He's raised from the dead so that through repentance and faith in Him, we'd be forgiven of our sins and truly reconciled to God. That gospel message, we speak it and it matters because it's real. No matter what your subjective day has entailed, we declare it because Jesus is real and His work is real. We emphasize kingdom compassion because in reality we are all sinners in desperate need and, and we are all sinners who have a real Savior. Thank God that He doesn't just pursue the well-off. Because it's none of us. None of us are the well-off that God is seeking. He seeks the sinners. As Luke 19 says, Jesus came to save and seek, seek and to save the lost. And Paul puts it, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners 
of whom I am foremost, the Apostle Paul calls himself. We emphasize kingdom compassion because we realize that without it, Christ would have no reason to rescue us. We emphasize kingdom contentment because to have Jesus is truly to have everything. We say with Paul in Philippians 3.8 that we count everything as loss, good and bad things, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The value of gaining Christ is so great. We can lose all possessions. We can lose everything. We can lose possessions. We can lose loved ones. We can lose life itself. And we will get to the other side. And we will say we received nothing but gain because of the immense value of gaining Christ. We're contented in Christ because of the great gain that he has. When we emphasize kingdom conviction, judgment is real and deserving. And when we trust Christ, when we trust in Christ, we rejoice that the Savior, he should shake his feet from us. If we got what we deserved, Christ should find us, shake his dust off his feet from us, and walk away. He doesn't do that. He comes, he lives, he dies, he rises for the dead to save sinners like us. He took the mission seriously to rescue his people. God, help us that we would look at our neighbors, our coworkers, this community, and look across this globe and be brokenhearted for them to hear the clear gospel message, to love them in their brokenness and display, to display to them the satisfaction that is found only in Christ. In these commission principles, speak kingdom language, show kingdom compassion, live in kingdom contentment, have kingdom convictions. In these commission principles, we should endeavor, and in them we should rejoice. And may we take seriously the life that they call us to, they call us to and may the joy that is contained in giving ourselves to them be great in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would impress these realities, these urgencies upon our hearts. And God, may the joys that are found in them, the joy in the declaration of the gospel, the good news coming to sinners like us, the contentment that we have in Christ, the compassion that's been shown to us, provoking us to show compassion to others, the conviction, God, that this message, this, this gospel, if we had not received it from you, God, we would be lost. You took it seriously, God, and may we take it seriously and, and, and rejoice in what it brings to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.